they certainly are the things that are under attack today, and we need to refine them and, and remember them. So follow. John chapter 12, verse 23. You ready, Mark? Glory to God. Thank you, brother. All right. Jesus replied, The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The one who loves his life destroys it. The one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. If anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be too. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Uh, let me talk for a few minutes about believers and followers. Jesus made a couple of points in this text very, very clear. It's around those two points that I want to uh, share my, my thoughts with you this morning that I believe the Lord's put on my heart. And the first one is like this. To serve the Lord, you must follow Jesus. I told you I got a flair for the obvious. <laughs> to serve the Lord, you must follow Jesus. Now, why is that significant? You would think that goes without saying, but it doesn't go without saying, and it can't be said enough because many believers in Jesus follow their own lives with very little alteration to their behaviors or their values. But they truly are believe, they believe in Him. Jesus called us to much more than just believing. But you get the idea that there are many who believe, but they follow themselves. They follow their own life. Um, however, the followers of Jesus... On the other hand, they adapt their own lives to where Jesus is going and what Jesus is doing. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're always going to be concerned about that question. Where's he going? What's he doing? You could be a believer in Jesus and stay uh, solidly rooted in your own routine, your own life, your own plans. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll never be comfortable just organizing around your own wants and desires. You're always going to be concerned. What's God doing? Because I need to follow Him. Where is He? What's He doing? If I'm going to follow Him, that's where I need to be. And that's exactly what Jesus said, isn't it? That was the first point, that if you want to uh, be with Jesus, you have to follow Him. And the second uh, truth that was brought out in the text was to glorify God you must leave this world with more than the mere self that you came into it with. Think about that with me for a moment. Jesus said, my time to be glorified has come. He says, now let me tell you the solemn truth. And he goes into that expression that if you hold on to your life, you're going to lose it ultimately because you're going to die alone by yourself. But if you set self aside in order to serve the Lord and to follow Him, then you'll bring forth much grain or much produce like the seed. Like I said, when you find a couple weeks ago I mentioned if you find yourself buried in the cold, dark earth of a trial, you have to decide, am I buried or am I planted? 
And if you're a seed, then you're planted, which means you set self aside and you are, you're taking up the Lord's life and you're following Him. And so that second truth is that if you're going to glorify God, then you must leave this world with more than the mere self with which you came into it. Jesus referred to this, by the way, as the solemn truth. You know, a solemn truth is a truth before which you and I should stop, draw a deep breath, and really think about the consequences. The consequences of getting this truth right and applying it to your life will be either wonderful or terrible, depending on how you respond. It's a solemn truth. It's not one that you can just listen to and not take it to heart and do something about it. That's a solemn truth. So we called this the solemn truth. And basically that solemn truth is that if you live for yourself alone, you're going to die without fruit and without glory. But denying self to follow uh, Jesus leads both to fruit and to honor from God. When you leave this world, don't you want God to honor you? The Bible says, he that follows me and serves me, my Father will honor him. In the, in the process of our lives, we usually don't stop and think about the end of our life. You, get, you start getting older like I'm getting, you might think about those things a little bit. But especially when you're younger, you're not thinking a lot about that. Your life seems like an eternity. But that's where we need to be very vigilant and really think because one day, you're not going to be able to extend your life or add even a minute, much less another year to your life. But yet, that eternal soul within you is going to go on for eternity. You want to enter eternity knowing that the Father is not just welcoming you into heaven, but He is honoring you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've taken what you entered this world with and what I gave you, and you've multiplied it. You are coming in with many souls to your credit that you have helped into the kingdom of God. And so if you want that glory and you want that honor, then we have to get busy about following Jesus today. Amen? So that's pretty simple truth. Um, now, this message that I've just shared with you, this is repeated throughout the gospel. This is, this is something that Jesus made a central theme and when I first got saved, and as many of you know, I was an atheist before I became a Christian, and there were a couple of things that were completely foreign to me. One was the Bible. I had never opened a Bible in my life. I'd never read it because I wasn't interested. I wasn't interested in God, so I never read anything about God and certainly didn't read the Bible. So when I got saved, I didn't know anything in the Bible. So somebody said, well, just start in the Gospels reading. So I flipped it open, and I found Matthew, and I, being the nature that I am, I didn't start in chapter 1, verse 1. I flipped through and jumped into the middle. And that's kind of the way I do things. And so I found my eyes fell on Matthew 16, 24. And that was my first verse that I learned, and I, and I committed it to memory. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants, and I'm going to read it because I'm using a different translation, and I like the nuances that this translation brings out. Jesus said to his disciples, to you, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let me say that again, and I want you to think very carefully at the words Jesus spoke, because he's speaking them to you. If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself or herself, 
Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And many other such places, Jesus repeated this principle over and over again. Now, when I first got saved, I got saved among a bunch of hardcore type Christians. I think today, in today's standard of Christianity, they would be considered fanatics. But um, in, in the day that I got saved, the people I got saved among, they were just run-of-the-mill Christians. That's just what a Christian was. And we really took this stuff to heart. We really believed it. And so in our mind, the average run-of-the-mill Christian was somebody who had settled it, my life comes second, his life comes first. I am a follower of Jesus. So we were constantly praying and, and serving the Lord in such a way that caused us to always think, where am I in relation to Jesus Christ? No matter what we did, whether it was working on our jobs and being involved in family or going about our lives in whatever fashion. And so becoming my follower, Jesus said, means that you have to live a life of self-denial. So let's ask the question, where is Jesus? What's he doing? If a follower has to be involved with where is Jesus, what's he doing, so that I can follow him, um, then we ask that question. And I think probably one of the best places to go in the Bible to find an answer to that is, is at the very end of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has died, he's ascended up into heaven, he's risen from the dead, and he makes an appearance before his disciples, and he speaks to them before he ascends up out of their sight. Listen to what he said, because it's going to make clear to you where he is and what he is doing. Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, so then, jumping down to verse 19, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs and wonders. So where is he and what's he doing? He is out in the harvest working with people who are telling other people about Jesus. And he's working through them as they're sharing the gospel. And he is doing the same miracles and signs and wonders that he did 2,000 years ago. <coughs> Excuse me. That is where he is. That's what he's doing. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're always going to be gospel harvest oriented. His direction has not changed. Now let me just step aside and make a little comment for a moment. If you were to Google the phrase following Jesus or anything like that, follow Jesus, and read some of the commentaries that come up, what does it mean to follow Jesus? You're going to find a lot of wonderful, encouraging things like hopefully the wonderful, encouraging things I'm saying this morning. Um, but right there on the first page that Google brings up, you're going to find some really weird commentaries as well. We've rounded the corner out of the 20th century into the new millennium, the 21st century. With that change has arisen new ideas among Christian leaders and teachers as to what it means to follow Jesus. I read a couple of them and I just had to back away and go, this is so typical of the hour and the spirit of the age we live in. And there is thought being formulated today among Christians in the body of Christ 
that following Jesus has to change and adapt to the nature of sinners today and how they think, their inability to commit to anything other than themselves. And so that following Jesus has become a progressive idea. And you'll find the word emergent or emerging. It is an emerging truth. It is a developing truth. And so you cannot allow yourself to be locked in the past, i.e. locked in the scriptures where Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, take up your cross and follow me. So I'm reading all of this and I'm thinking, you have got to be kidding, but there are thousands of Christians that are digesting this and they're into it. And it, they are completely convinced that this is where it's at. And it makes the modern thinking person who is very much in tune with the way uh, people are dealt with and viewed in the world today. It makes it very easy to follow Jesus and it's quite accommodating and it's very appealing. But there is, and pardon me for being negative and I don't mean to, and I don't really think that ultimately this is negative, but there's a negative side to it. But the reality is that Jesus said without a commitment to deny yourself when it comes to doing what God's called and what God has put before you to do, if you're not willing to do that, you are not my disciple. You're really not my follower. You may believe in me, but you're not following me. And so the direction of Jesus, where he is and what he's doing, has not changed. And until he returns, it's not going to change. He's in the harvest, and he is in the gospel sharing. So that's what Jesus is doing. Now, I want you to remember that Jesus in his earthly ministry had to deny his own self-interests in order to fulfill the mission of loving others and saving others. Isn't it amazing that he had no sin, he was completely sinless, he is love embodied, yet the minute God condescended into humanity and he, he took on the form of a servant, but he found himself as a man. Along with that came the liability called putting self first. Don't you think that when people insulted Jesus and tempted him that his self might have preferred to just put him in their place? I'm not saying to be rude or to be nasty, but don't you think he got a little bit tired of the foolishness and he would have just as soon said something that would have just cut their legs right out from under them? but he was always putting his own interests aside in order to find that response that the Father wanted to bring. That's called self-denial. You get where I'm going with this? If Jesus had to deny himself so that his true mission could arise and flow, then certainly you and I can be expected to do nothing less if we're going to follow him. I'll give you a couple verses that describe this. One is found in Romans chapter 15 and verse 3. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scripture says, quote, The insults of those that insulted you, O God, have fallen on me. So there's an example that Jesus faced insults. But it, when he did, he didn't have this, he didn't have this, this attitude. Are you disrespecting me? You never see that attitude in him. What, is, what did the scripture say that he took upon himself? Lord, the insults of those that insult you have fallen upon me. Lord, they're insulting you. So I'm not going to get personal about this. 
I'm going to respond in whatever way you, Father, want me to respond. Wouldn't it be awesome if you and I did something like that? Wouldn't you like to, you know, when somebody takes a swipe at you on Facebook, and because, you know, they're never going to see you face to face, you're just like, and just lashing right back out, because you're, when I, I, I deviate for just a moment, you know, when I was a kid, we used to fight all the time. We were constantly fighting. There was always fights during school, before school, after school. So if you were going to be a kid that ran around, shot your mouth off, just know you were going to get somebody's fist down your throat if you ran your mouth like that. And that's the way it was. And you know, society was wonderful. <laughs> Things were great then. We didn't have problems with school bullies because they got dealt with. Today, I'm not even going to comment, but that's, that's just... So bullies and fools just run their mouth and act big and, and assault and insult other people. Jesus ran into that. Isn't it amazing how that he just never allowed himself to say, I need to, I need to, my emotions, I'm frustrated. I, he kept all of that aside and did what the father told him to do. And then he said, you follow me. You follow me. That is what it takes. If you want to know me, you have to follow me. <coughs> then in Philippians, it really even opens this idea up more when in the second chapter in verse 5, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So following Jesus starts with having his attitude. Notice that that's exactly what he said. He said, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. So following Jesus isn't just about knowing what he's doing. It begins with an internal position in your mind and your heart. It's positioning yourself in the same attitude that Jesus had. That since I have died through Calvary's cross and now Christ lives in me, I'm living the exciting, rewarding life of a disciple. I, I'm, I can live a life that is filled with miracles and great testimonies. And at the end of my life, I'll be able to have my great-grandchildren around me and I'll be able to tell them about all through those years, what it was like to serve the Lord and the people that got saved and the things that happened. And I'll be able to say to them, kids, remember, you're starting out in life. You'll never be better to yourself than when you put yourself in the passenger seat and let Jesus take over your life. Act like he acts. Stop being selfish. Stop responding out of self and defending yourself. Serve the Lord and you'll lead an exciting, fulfilling life. And you'll be able to go into glory with much fruit and the Father will honor you. See, when we got saved back then, we really did believe in heaven. You don't hear it talked about too much anymore. Everything is here and now. You know, how Jesus enhances your life and blesses your life. And I'm all about the blessings. I'm all about the enhancements. If I had to lead a broken up, tore down life, or I could leave a blessed, enhanced life, I want to lead the blessed, enhanced life. That's my choice every single day. But the reality is, 
And when we first got saved, we were looking forward to heaven. We had a stretched out vision. We believed that there was a heaven to gain and certainly a hell to shun. And, and today I don't know if Christians really think a whole lot about their life being a preparation for eternity. But Jesus taught that it certainly was. And so we must have the same attitude that he had. Now, let me talk for a few moments about self-denial. Because I think we get very confused about what self-denial really looks like. And, and if you practice self-denial, what you're going to end up doing in your life. First of all, let me say that self-denial that following Jesus requires, the self-denial that's necessary to be a follower of Christ, isn't making a religion out of denying yourself the things that you enjoy, which is what a lot of people think, that if they're, if they're going to be a Christian that denies self, then they have to make sure that, you know, I love a good steak, but I'm going to have a hot dog instead. Or worse yet, let me just have this salad. Um, you know, I, I enjoy watching a, a, a show on television, but you know what? I'm going to take my TV out in the backyard and I'm going to smash it with a sledgehammer because I shouldn't be enjoying myself so much. Well, whether you should smash your TV or eat salads is not for me to say. I really don't know if that's what you should do or not. That's between you and God. But I will say this, that the self-denial that God's looking for has nothing to do with you proving your love for God by pushing away things that you enjoy. Instead, self-denial is a function. It's, it has a very practical purpose. Uh, you don't deny self to prove your love for Jesus. You deny self in order to be with Jesus. If self is getting in the way with you being with Jesus, then in the way that it is getting in the way, you, you, you remove that. You alter your behavior in order to be with him and to obey him. But running around and just denying yourself for the sake of denying yourself, does, neither does it please God, nor does it impress anyone else. Well, it might impress people, I don't know. But it's not going to have any bearing on, on uh, the harvest or, or producing fruit. Self-denial, if I could define it in simple terms, is seeking God's correction without letting self get in the way. It's seeking God's correction. It's not running around and saying, I'm going to be in rags and drive a broken down car. It is saying, Lord, today, show me what areas of my life are out of joint, are not right. Correct me because I want to be, a, I want to be closer to you. I want to follow you. So if, if I am not following you, help me correct and adjust my course. It's seeking God's correction without letting self get in the way. Here's the question we'll spend the rest of our time sharing about. Are you open to correction? Self-denial is all about asking God for correction. How do you handle correction? Now, if you're anything like me, you've got a little bit of a rebellious streak. It's all right. We're human. And, you know, people that tend to be outgoing have also an aggressive side to them. Some people are just by nature, their personality, they're a lot more compliant and they're by nature very passive. I'm not much of a passive, uh, compliant type. And, but that zeal that I can naturally have, God can use it, but it's got to be 
brought un under submission to him. It just can't be me doing it for my own sake. So am I open to correction? And that's something I'd like you to ask yourself. Christian discipleship is more than learning about truth. It's changing your life to obey the truth. A disciple is not somebody who just sits and learns about the Bible, learns about Jesus. But a disciple is someone who alters their behavior and their thinking to be more like Jesus. Or let me say it like this, to be with Jesus. We know him better if we're with him more. And so that's really what discipleship is. It's... It's pursuing the truth and letting it change your life rather than just collecting information. And in Hebrews chapter 12, you're going to be probably familiar with this, really talks about this and brings it down to specifics in our life. Beginning in verse, eight, uh, verse 5, 5 through 8 in Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as children when he said, My child... Don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those that He loves, and He chastises each one He accepts as His child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember, God is treating you as His own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. I selected that very simple translation because you want to simplify that. You need to get down to the point where you realize that because God loves us, he's always grooming and encouraging us, and that encouragement must come in the form of correction if we're going the wrong way. You don't want God to encourage you if you're going the wrong direction. You're going to take that encouragement and you're going to reinforce your wrong behavior with it. I do, you do, it's human nature. I don't want God allowing me, if I'm going the wrong way, I don't want Him allowing me to be confirmed in my wrong direction. I don't want God allowing me to just go down the road and talk in a way that dishonors Jesus, act in a way that dishonors Jesus, or commit myself to things that hinder Him in my life. I want the Lord to stop me, to help me, to get my attention, to correct me so that I can be blessed. I want the blessings of God. So if I want God's blessing, the last thing I want is to have a relationship with God where all He does is just bless everything I do. That He's just so cuckoo over me. That I'm just so darn cute that he can't help himself. That he just bless, 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 bless. Because I'm going to take all that blessing as reinforcement that I'm absolutely going in the right direction, doing the right thing. And Jesus is just crazy about me. Now, what father or mother among you, if you had a child that began to develop wrong thinking and begin to go in the wrong direction, that you would just keep giving them allowances. You would just keep taking them everywhere and blessing them and doing everything for them. 
You're just reinforcing their bad behavior. They take everything you do for them and to them as either they look at it just like we look at God. They look at it as support for the way they're behaving or disapproval and an opportunity to correct the way they're behaving. So any decent parent understands that principle, that you have an obligation to raise up and guide your child in the way they should go so that when they're older, they won't depart from it. Now, I know that as parents, we have not all done that. Uh, so let me just say that beginning with Kathy and I and then all of us, we have not always done that with our children. Sometimes we just let them go. And, but you know that when they go in the wrong direction, it, it, they just keep going. If you encourage them, that's going to keep going. So it is with God. Because He loves us, He corrects us. And we should want and seek that correction. Is, does the modern Christian, in his or her mentality, have a view of Christianity that says, above everything, I should ask for and be open to and seek the Lord's correction. And I should expect to be corrected. I need correction because I'm not perfect. I want to be close to Jesus. And so in where is that I'm not, I want him to show that to me. Let me just condense that down and give you a little phrase. True Christians would rather be corrected in their shortcomings than confirmed in their compromises. Think about it. As a true Christian, you would rather be corrected, convicted, corrected in your shortcomings than to have God confirm you in your compromise. One of the most prominent features of modern culture is refusing correction. Listed in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5, among the corrupt characteristics of society in the last days are these attributes. You know that list where it says in the last days perilous times shall come, describes the way people will be. I lifted a few of those attributes out. Lovers of self, boasters, proud, Disobedient to parents, without self-control, despisers of good people, high-minded, claiming godliness but refusing to submit to its power. The Bible says from those that are like that, turn away. Yet, let's be honest, how many of us can trace some of these things to our behavior from time to time? Certainly. Some of those things creep up and pop up in me. My natural man has a tendency to, because I'm walking through the world, sometimes it sticks to me. And there, I have to admit it, sometimes I go out looking for it. And I embrace it. So being a lover of self, a boaster, proud, disobedient to parents, despisers of good people, heady, high-minded, claiming godliness but not submitting to its power, to me, all of those attributes, really, they just simply speak to the rebellious culture that rejects correction. They're just all different ways of describing this attitude of, we don't accept correction. Think about it. One of the things, if I could just uh, step out of this for a moment and make an observation, one of the things that is grievous to a lot of 
Christians, well, some Christians, I guess, and a lot of people today during this election cycle is how that these people that we have to make a decision about voting for, you want them, you want them to, to show some character. Um, but that kind of I'm above correction, I don't know about you, it grieves me. I would much prefer to see a man or woman who I'm looking to for leadership humble themselves and, and, and say, I was wrong, rather than to just bold-faced stand there and say, you can't correct me, I won't take correction. These guys are amazing. If they feel attacked, man, they just go right. They don't ever take correction. And I think to myself, wow, wait till they get the nation in their hands. But then again, you know, I mean, the guy we've got in office now is that way. So we've had all kinds of people like that. But it is grievous to us. We step back as Christians and we see that example. And it cuts across the nature of Christ within us. Because Jesus said, if you want to be great, you need to be able to take correction. You need to be willing to correct yourself. And what did he say? If you don't receive correction, then you are illegitimate. You're really not my child. And so it's not people that say they are God's children, but it's those that show through their lifestyle that they are God's children. Let me wrap this little segment up by saying that if we want to follow Jesus, we must be vigilant against the rebellious, I'm above correction, I don't take correction, spirit that is manifested in modern culture. Over the, over the 40 plus years that I've been uh, pastoring in ministry, and, and even longer than that just as a Christian, I have noticed a bit of a trend where Christians are a lot less willing to humble themselves and admit that they're wrong. There is a trend heading in that direction. Where does it come from? It comes from the spirit of the world. Because where, where do Christians come from? They don't fall out of trees. They don't fall out of the sky. We don't plant them and they come up out of the ground. They come out of the world. The culture of the world informs the culture of the church. I hate to say it, but the culture of, of church is largely influenced by the culture of the world because people are coming out of the world. And in their coming out of the world, if they're not truly changing and saying, I want to follow Jesus, then they're staying in that world mindset. And at the core of that mindset is, I don't take correction. You can't tell me what to do. And, and that tendency to look at it is, people can't, can't tell me what to do. But you have to be careful because it's very easy for that attitude to sink into your heart and you can have a relationship with God that basically, when's the last time you went before the Lord and your prayer was, Lord, show me where I'm wrong. Do I need correction? How come I'm running into all this difficulty? Is there something in me that needs to be looked at? You'll never go wrong. And with this, I'm going to close. You'll never go wrong going before the Father with a Bible in your lap and on your face and praying and asking that question. Now, no man, no church, no book, 
can tell you how far you must go in denying yourself. I mean, there's certain things the Scripture makes clear. They're general. But only God in your relationship with Him can really regulate the level of correction and adjustment that you and I need in our lives. And so if we're not seeking God for that and then submitting to it, asking the Lord for it, we're never really going to know. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does the most in our life is to lead us into the truth, to deal with us, and to help us to conform our lives so we follow Jesus. So unsaved people are led to Jesus by those who are followers of Jesus and not just believers. What's he doing? Where's he going? He's in the harvest. If you want to follow Jesus today, if you want to win people to him, you must be a follower and take up your cross and follow him. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning. Here's what we're going to do this morning in response because as I said in this message, following Jesus is not just learning truth, but it's responding and saying, Lord, let this begin with me right here, right now. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Wherever you're standing or, or still seated is your altar of decision, your place is right there in your heart. Some of the things that I've said this morning may be just continuing to circulate in your thoughts. And hopefully the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about some things this morning. And they're on your heart and they're on your mind. I don't want you to leave. And, and, and your Heavenly Father does not want you to leave this morning without breaking through and making a connection with the Lord, receiving peace, and resolution about what it is that's in your heart right now. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to pray together. Father in heaven, I bring the men and women of God before that are standing before me. I bring them, along with myself, before you. Father in heaven, help us to see that or those issues where you want us Lord, to put self aside in order to reach ahead and take hold of what you have for us. Lord, if you're dealing with us, if you are convicting us, Father, if you are speaking to us about a correction, I pray for a willing heart, an open mind and a willing heart in every man and woman in this sanctuary, everyone under the sound of my voice. I pray that an open mind and a willing heart, you'll help them with that Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' name, let the Holy Spirit pull upon your heart. Let Him open up your thoughts and open up your mind. I take authority in the spirit realm over every spirit of rebellion. I come against every demonic attack of the enemy, every strategy that Satan has conspired against you with to try to keep you bound in self-denial, in, 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 um, uh, uh, serving self, and in refusing correction. I bind that right now in the name of Jesus and command that resistance to break and release its hold from you. Be free. Be free. 
and fearless before the Lord today, knowing, as the Scripture says, that He corrects us for our good. God's got something better for you and I today, and He's wanting to lift us up into it. So I pray for you that your soul will say yes to the Lord. If you would, just place your hand over your heart. And let's pray this prayer together before the Father. Heavenly Father, the issues on my heart right now, I lay upon your altar. I take up my cross. As a follower of Jesus, I receive the grace to be able to lay these burdens and commit these issues to you right now. And I pray as you prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Heavenly Father, through the Holy Spirit, open my mind. Give me a new way of thinking. Open the scriptures. Show me how to change the pattern of my behavior, of my thinking, so that I may walk with you, follow you, and have a greater level of victory in my life. Lord, thank you. Because I believe the grace of God is working in me right now. To will and to do your good pleasure. I put myself in your hands. In the name of Jesus, have your way. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. In my life, in Jesus' name. Church, let's give Him praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord.